up, people? Welcome back to Embrace the Imbalance, the podcast that shines a spotlight on lessons learned from some pretty incredible people. I'm Tina McIntosh, and this is Embrace the Imbalance. Let's do this thing. We also, by the way, have a surprise opportunity for you at the end of the show, so make sure you listen all the way through. Today's guest, my friends, is creative. She is fun. She's into red lipstick, giant hoop earrings, swishy dresses, and good meals with good people. She's also an attorney, a singer, a gardener, and an accordion player. Her name is very long and very Greek, and it (laughs) means the resurrection of the people. She is Anastasia Catherine Demos Mills. Stacia, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. That was a big introduction. (laughs) Okay, so you are the grandchild of Greek immigrants. And as you significantly informed your identity and your work ethic, can you tell us about them? I can gladly. And uh, boy, I feel like they're over my shoulders all the time. So yes, my name is very long and very Greek. I'm named after my grandmother and in Greek, her name is Anastasia. And uh, so that's my first name. My middle name is Catherine or Katarina. My maiden name is Demopoulos or uh, Demos. And then my married name is Mills. So <laughs> I, I need you to say it in, in that Greek tone, all of it together. Okay, ready? Anastasia Katarina Diamandopoulos Mills. This huge Greek name, which um, I love now and have come to grow into it and own it. But growing up as a little Greek kid in a primarily Irish Catholic neighborhood, um, I felt really out of sorts with a name like that, especially in cursive writing class. But you asked about my grandparents. And three of my four grandparents, all of the grandparents are, are very Greek. Um, three of the four came over on boats like people did. And they left, they left everything. I don't think I had like a full understanding. And I never will probably of, of who they were, what they did, why they left. But we've gone back a bunch of times. And I've gone back like to the church where my grandparents got married. I have this whole new admiration for it their willingness to risk and come and do this thing. And so like lots of Greek people, they got here and um, not surprisingly food services, hey, this is what we do. So um, they worked at fruit stands and polished shoes. And one of them became a professional wrestler and bodybuilder. One of them owned a hotel and they just, they poured into the communities where they landed and they poured into the people that they came in contact with. They cared for their own. They cared for people that weren't their own and just continued to pour that out. And I got to be a recipient of that. And I don't think I had any clue. And I'm just now starting to get a clue of what that meant and how that informed my world. But I'm starting to get it now. So, yeah, they were they were larger than life. Absolutely wild. There's yeah photos of my maternal grandfather who later sold his wrestling franchise to WWE wearing unitards and a loincloth. So if that doesn't make you a little uncomfortable as a granddaughter, I don't know what will, but it was a spectacular way to grow up. I think about what it must've been like to come over on a boat and leave your everything. I mean, let's think about that for a second. Yep. Left their homes, their dishes, their memorabilia, their, you know, whatever it was. Their mother. Yes. They're home, they're home. Yes. And then they left their family and their friends and their safety in their community. Do you know what it was that brought them to America? 
Well, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, Mary, she was getting married to my grandfather and they, it was a, a transactional marriage in some ways, like it was for a lot of young couples. He had come here and was looking, looking to marry. And so they wrote letters. And so they basically met and married really quickly and where she lived. I mean, it was really grueling, crushing poverty and war and, and disease and famine. And, and this was her ticket. She came and married this guy she barely knew who was like 20 years older than her. Go grandpa. (laughs) And yet they built this life and they were married for over 50 years. They settled in Danville, Illinois and, and cooked and brought a whole bunch of other family members over. And my dad remembers uh, growing up with cousins sleeping on all surfaces in his house and people Greek dancing in the living room. I love them already. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I don't even know them and I love them. So you have all this influence from your grandparents and I know you've got a wonderful family and I know they all taught you, you know, lessons throughout your life. And yet one of the best lessons you learned that you're going to share with us, and I'm going to let you finish the sentence, but I'll start it. Mm. Every single adult in the world is winging it. Every single adult in the world is winging it. And I want to talk about that because- (laughs) I think we're expected to know things, you know, we are so expected to know things and we don't I mean, we may, we're making stuff up all the time, right? It's the big secret. I was under the complete delusion as a kid and a young adult that somehow the adults knew like somehow we had, we had the answers. Um, That's not to say that we haven't gained really valuable experience and insight along the way, but Everybody from the person in the greatest positions of power to the people who are doing seemingly the most humble things are all figuring it out on the fly. And I'll tell you what, I have, I have definitely learned to have a healthy suspicion of anyone who claims to know it all. (laughs) So that's what I was going to say is why do you think it is that people pretend to have all the answers? Like, do you think they actually think they have all the answers or do you think they're doing it to save face? Maybe there's a little bit of both, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a a little shred of a kernel of fear wrapped up in there, you know, a fear of looking incapable or incompetent or insecure. Yeah. Or less than in some ways. I think that drives, that drives a lot of decisions and actions for me too. I've said that to my kids before, you know, I don't have it all figured out and I'm going to make mistakes. Um, I, I took myself out of running for mother of the year a long time ago. And I, I know your relationship with your son, and I imagine you've had similar conversations. I think for me, how different my life would have been or my friends and, you know, their families, if, if the parent in their life had said that to them. And I think about, you know, any young adults who are listening, who are going through that typical battle of I'm an emerging adult. Uh, you know, I'm struggling with a lot of different things in my life and relationships. Cause I think we all kind of go through those, you know, some, how different life would be for them. If somebody would just say, Hey, listen, uh, we don't really know anything. We're just, we're just winging it. <laughs> right. I, I agree. And, and then yet sometimes I wonder if I've let the pendulum swing so far to that other side that they're like, this lady doesn't have a clue. Oh, I understand that feeling too. <laughs> Which is not accurate, but. (laughs) And I feel that way with work too, you know, and I think about um, people who kind of bust through the door. Here's something, here's something that I've said before. 
it's like a beautiful woman walking in a room full of people, right? And mm-hmm. you sitting in the room and she comes in and she says, I am the most beautiful person in the room. Suddenly she gets really ugly. Right. She'll tell you all about it. And I feel like it's the same thing with intelligence. It's the same thing with having all the answers. If somebody has to stand there and tell you that they have all the answers, I'm, I'm questioning who, who they are. And the pressure that you put on yourself when you pretend that you're not winging it, when you pretend you have all the answers, the pressure you put on yourself is huge. And I don't know about you. I've done that before where I've tried to fake my way through, you know, a moment professionally or personally and think I've got it all figured out. And I just feel stupid, you know, no doubt, no doubt, Mm -hmm. especially in some of those higher level conversations and you fully belong at the table and I fully belong at the table, but yes, it can be very intimidating. I want to know how you got to be so insightful. I mean, I get that it's how you're made, but who has taught you the most valuable lessons in your life? I was reflecting. I was reflecting about that. And I think you were asking me who, and I thought a lot more about what has taught me the most. And I am a person who loves security. I love knowing what's going to happen. And I think that life doesn't lend itself to that. And then I think that loss and change have been the greatest teachers for me, unwelcome teachers many times, but the most valuable ones, knowing that I can weather those things and you can weather those things. And oftentimes there is something really beautiful that and refining that comes out of things that don't remain the same or things that are lost. But I can cling so tightly to the things that I want to remain the same to my detriment. I love that you were insightful about it. And I think it's a beautiful answer. And it makes me wonder if at some point in your life, have you ever found yourself in a place where you know you're learning and you know you don't have that control, but where it's been dark and scary and you've had those days where you don't want to get out of bed and you can lay there and cry. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments in your life? And if so, which one? I always say in my own household, when people say, how are your kids doing? And I say, you know, with everything going on in the world and everything going on in our nation and everything going on in our household and everything going on in their own body. Mm. It's a and, lot. And I know that a lot of people are experiencing that same thing where there are those highs and those lows. And, and I wonder when, um, you know, when you're a young adult and you have those days where you find yourself, you just want to lay in bed and cry, and you're not sure when you're going to feel like you're going to put one foot in front of the other. Has there been anything that's helped you to take that next step? Mm, Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And part of it was starting to come to a greater understanding of the, the things that truly replenish my spirit when I am absolutely spent. And it can take some uncovering to figure that out. Um, For me personally, the things that replenish my spirit are our music, um, just sitting and singing and being creative. And then the other things that seem more universal, I think for folks are pretty basic too. There's sunlight and air and having a conversation with someone you love who loves, who knows you and loves you in spite of it and can speak truth to you. It's hard sometimes to beat the inertia back in order to do those things, but sunlight, air, you know, all the stuff that makes plants grow, sunlight, air, good nutrition, talking to somebody who loves you and knows you, moving, 
and the inertia of getting out of bed can sometimes feel like you're super glued there. You're hearing the voice of Stacia Demos Mills. She is, um, quite honestly, you're one of my favorite people. Like we've, really? yes, we've said this before that, you know, in a different stage in life, we would actually see each other more often and do things more often, but here, here, I just, I just really enjoy you. So, um, uh, this is one of my favorite questions. If you were standing in front of a room full of young adults, what would you tell them? Oh, yeah. Well, my, my off the cuff answer would be first leggings aren't pants. That would be my <laughs> first bit of glorious advice. I've made that mistake regularly. But <laughs> if you're looking for something more profound than that, <laughs> I would say that the beauty and the brutality occur side by side. They are sisters and they happen in your life. It's not necessarily just one full on or the other, like the most lovely moments can happen in the deepest suffering. And we get to pick in the middle of all that, we get to pick which part will define our story and which part we get to focus on. Um, I can say that and sound like I'm good at it. Some days I'm better at that than others but we do, we do get to pick, but just the knowledge that those two things will continue to happen in your life over and over and over again. And some seasons will be filled with so much more beauty and so much more ease. And some seasons will be filled with much more difficulty and suffering and the brutality, but they're sisters and they live right next to each other. And we get to pick. A lot of times we make the mistake of not realizing we can pick. And so we automatically are drawn to the one that stifles us a little bit more that holds yep. a little bit more and we become victims. I mean, here's that word again. You know, we become victims and have that victim mentality. I wonder, do you think we can repick? So if I pick one, can I go back and repick? Oh, I do. I do believe in, in the possibility of the do-over. And I don't want to minimize the, the pain that people do experience at all. But I do believe that that, that opportunity for redemption exists in some form. Um, so, yes. Heck yes. Here's to the do-over. And when you talk about beauty, what does beauty really mean to you? Because we're here, let me, let me go a little bit further. Cause we are taught to think that beauty is one thing. Ah, sure are. Sometimes when we're younger, we think of beauty as what our eyes see. And as we get older and learn a little bit more, I mean, the definition of beauty from your perspective. <laughs> So I think in some ways to define what it is, it's, it's uh, helpful to define what it's not. Um, and in reflecting about our conversation, I was thinking about the things that it's not, you know, there's the big, the big lie that, that our, our beauty and our worth are defined by our productivity or our physical appearance or where the decimal falls in our bank account. Um, you know, those are all the, the shiny things that seem to define our beauty and value and worth, or at least that's the loud voices that tell us that. But for me, the greatest spots of beauty that I find are in things that are less obvious than that. And I think I shared a goofy story about an ordinary day when my kid was taking out the recycling, which I, it was, you know, a, a, an emotional journey to get that to happen, but he did it. And I am thankful. Um, but I'm not. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. <laughs> I love you, kid. You're, you're a great kid. But it was an emotional journey to make it happen. And so as he was um, dragging this bright blue bin down the driveway, he showed me this bright yellow leaf. It was autumn. And it had this like 
serrated edges and it was just glistening in the morning sun and he was taking out the recycling and he took a second to see it and to call me over and show me um and you know I don't want to simplify what beauty is in any way but I appreciated in that moment his willingness to see something lovely in really really ordinary circumstances because you know there's obvious beauty um, there's the incredible cathedrals and paintings and sculptures but when you can find it when you're taking out the recycling or when you can see it in a person that might feel really unlovable or in a situation that seems beyond redemption like when you mine for it that's the stuff you know i i feel like that's that's where the real magic happens when you can find it there on the same note i remember years ago i was going to some kind of a lecture series for work i'm sure and i said to a friend of mine like oh i don't want to go i've you know i've heard this before and i'm tired and i'm this and i'm that and she said i i hear you and i know that you have to go i would challenge you to find one thing that is new or enlightening for you. Mm. One thing that you can learn from. And she said, whether it's the words that come out of this man's mouth or it's how the stage is set up or it's the lighting in the room or it's how people are taking notes and reacting, like whatever it is, find Mm -hmm. that you can learn from. And I feel like, I know they're different, but I feel like what you're saying reminds me of that. Yeah, that's a beauty finder. I think so too. We look for the good. And if we could do that, all the time, or most of the time, or even try some of the time. Yeah, some of the time is good. 4% of the time, whatever you can do. <laughs> yeah, to find the beauty in the lecture you don't want to go to, or find the lesson, or find, you know, find the beauty in taking out the recycling, or whatever it is. Well, what else? I know that as you were looking over the questions I had before we started um, today, your words were that preparing for this podcast brought a lot of insightful moments for you. And some were really easy and fun and some were more challenging. Does anything come to mind? Well, you know, one other thing that I didn't want to gloss over, you were asking about great lessons that you might've experienced as a teenager. And I had this memory of this interaction that seemed really small, but wasn't. And it was a girl who invited me to sit at her lunch table when I was in seventh grade, <laughs> which brings back all these feelings of vulnerability, right? Like if seventh grade isn't, isn't possibly one of the more vulnerable moments of anyone's life, I don't know what is. But um, she invited me to sit at her lunch table and I was a new kid and I didn't know anybody, not a soul. And I felt really out of sorts and like I didn't belong and never would. And she, you know, extended me this little middle school olive branch and And she didn't know it and I didn't know it, but it changed my whole life. Like she welcomed me into this little circle of people and this friendship, maybe it's because I glommed onto her in such gratitude, um, (laughs) changed my life. And uh, she was the maid of honor at my wedding. And it, it seemed like this tiny, tiny little interaction, right? They're not tiny though. Like every single person that you talk to, every single interaction that you have has the potential for good or to be a soul suck, frankly, right? So whatever it might be, if you're picking up your dry cleaning, if you're sitting at a lunch table, you have, you wield incredible power with the way that that you interact with others and use your words for life or for death, you know, not, not to get super dramatic, but it's true. 
And so that, of course, in reflecting about our time together, it just made me think of all the different ways in which I have contributed to, to, to prompting life-giving conversations or to being a soul sucker. And I do both with alarming regularity. <laughs> you know, I think about your um, maid of honor and how life would be different if she didn't just invite you to that lunch table. I know. I know. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and it didn't mean that you had to be friends forever. And it didn't mean nope. that you had to be your maid of honor, right? But how different your life would be if she didn't just extend that invitation and how often we pause and don't invite somebody to lunch table or don't invite somebody for coffee or don't return the phone call or whatever it is. Yep. We, we pause or even make the first phone call, but we pause and don't do it because we are insecure. We're afraid it won't be returned. We're afraid it will be rejected. You know? Yes. Yes. And there is room at that table. There is. Right. And rejection is just part of it. I mean, it goes back to you talking about, you know, incredible beauty and suffering our sisters and, and come side by side, like, you know, put yourself out there and you'll get rejected. Promise. I promise you, you put yourself out there, people, you will get rejected period. But what's the consequence of never putting yourself out there? Nothing happens. Right. Which is worse than rejection. Cause then you just have regret. Oh, I just adore you. And I, I think, how lucky your son is to have you as a mom. And oh my word, I needed to hear that today, by the way. I don't know how <laughs> I really needed to hear that today. Thank you. Well, and thank you for being here on the podcast. Um, you'll have to come back. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens next with this, Tina. I'm thrilled for you. It is terrifyingly exciting. Um, so here's <laughs> the opportunity that we have to share with you as listeners. Uh, first of all, do you have someone who's taught you a great lesson? I have no doubt that you do. And would you like to honor that person, Um, whether that person is still here with us or it's to honor someone and remember someone who has passed. So for a limited time and for only $20, you have the chance to share that lesson and the name of the person you want to honor on all of our Embrace the Imbalance outlets. So again, it's a great way to honor someone who's still with us or to remember someone who has passed. And all you have to do is email me. Again, I'm Tina. Email me at embracetheimbalance at gmail.com find us on social media and we're going to make it happen. I know this podcast is new and none of us really know what the future holds, but I think we're onto something. And Stacia, because you are our guest, as we announce this opportunity for the first time, we are going to gift you with our very first honorary moment. Uh, for the rest of you, again, it's as easy as emailing me at embracetheimbalance at gmail.com. Let's see where this thing goes and have some fun and love well in the process. Mm-hmm.